Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So before we begin our new series, looking uh, next Sunday at the letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, today I will be bringing what is the, uh, the final installment of preachers that have really sought to set the tone for the year ahead and road ahead as a church family. In Acts chapter 2, we discover this authentic pull and work of the Holy Spirit in bringing the early church together in devotion. It was something that couldn't be kind of like manufactured or forced, but is there recorded for us in Scripture as an, an example of God's intention. His intention to bind his church together in what would become kind of the like essentials in basic Christian practice. To be in devotion to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and to unity, and to mission. And out of this, this beautiful culture overflows of care for one another, a culture of gathering together, and a culture of authentic joy that abounds in the church. And it is to this that we, as an eldership team, are feeling the, the pull of God to anchor ourselves in these essentials, these basics of church practice that... God has deposited, particularly in my heart, a year of, uh, for growth in maturity and growth in numeracy as a church family across the year ahead, that in his grace, this is something that God will do, that what he is asking us of us to do in this year is really, and what he's calling us to do in this year, and what we feel particularly is to a year of devotion, this Holy Spirit return to his essentials. So today we are rooted in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, but I am going to read from verses 42 to 47 just to get the kind of broader brushstroke of what God initiates through the work of the Holy Spirit and his church. So that's Acts chapter 2, verses And it says, and they, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attempting, uh, attempting, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were 
being saved. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. And like a double-edged sword, I pray it will get right to our hearts this morning, bypass all the stuff that's going on in our lives, Lord, get right to the root and bring about transformation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So my, um, my wife, uh, she will tell me that she knows uh, when I'm happy. And to her, the biggest sign of my happiness is when we are walking together, and this could be in any context, whether that's out with the dog or you know, getting in some food shopping, the sign of happiness will be me singing a little song to myself. Yes, I am that guy. Yeah, just so you know. She thinks that if I'm quiet, it's likely that I am probably thinking over something, stewing over a particular situation, maybe making plans, having a little theological debate with myself. However, when she hears me singing like that, she knows that I've wandered off into my own little world and all the other cares are not even in consideration. I'm just enjoying the blessing of being and hanging out with my wife. What's even funnier, as a as I am, as I'm a father as well, is that I see the exact same behaviour displayed in my son. When that boy is happy and hasn't got a care in the world, is, and it's not as if he hasn't got stuff going on in his life, he, you know, he is not just—he's not concerned about it, and he's at peace about it. And when that boy is happy, he sings his heart out, mainly in the shower, or from it emanates from his bedroom all the way down the stairs. We can hear him loud and clear. And when I hear him and I see him in that type of mood, I suddenly add that, oh, now I realize what Joe sees when she looks at me. In verse 47 here, what I love about this moment with the early church in Acts 2 are the things that we see in action. The things that we see in action. God is doing something special with his people, binding them together through the work of the Holy Spirit, which has resulted in this kind of rich display of devotion to him, that is to God, and to one another. And there was nothing there that indicated that they, they had their lives all together, and yet everything points to this newfound security and confidence in who they were and this new adventure that they were on. Everything is still quite raw in terms of organization. I'm not sure they had a preach, preaching road to plans, don't think they had the curriculum for the kids' work in place. And yet there's this kind of unwavering commitment from all. They were bonded together and all in for what God was doing. And with the early church being birthed into a context where persecution was really at their doorstep, I think what I'm trying to demonstrate is that the authentic, is this authenticity of people who had encountered Jesus and had been bonded together as family through the help of the Holy Spirit that there was a realness about their joy, a joy that didn't arrive as a result of having everything together and in good shape, but abounded as a result of their confidence and security in Christ. And it's not something that can be manufactured. It's just the work of God and the people's willingness to put their trust in him. And one of the wonderful signs of this authentic joy was the praise that poured out from their lips on a day-to-day basis. Verse 47 really continues to flow from verse 46 of this day-by-day language. Day-by-day attending the temple together, 
day by day breaking bread in their homes, day by day receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. And when we hit 47, we discover the believers are day by day praising God. When we look at that word praise, its meaning can differ depending on the intention with which it's used. For example, if you see someone doing something well, you might want to acknowledge it to encourage the individual. So you take the opportunity to praise them. Praising in this way is recognizing the individual efforts and showing your admiration and your approval. You do that as parents with your children. You might do that as employers with your employees. And I guess you can, you can do that in any context, really, in which you might want to affirm something that you see as good. Now, the other type of praise is one where we're seeking to demonstrate our respect and our gratitude toward another. It's a way of saying thank you. And praise is a, it's a form of expression. It's a verb. It's an action word. It's meant to come out into the open. And here with God's people, the early church, the praise of respect and gratitude pours out into the open on a daily basis. It's an overflow of thankfulness that even in the messiness of life, when we don't have it all together, praise still comes. The early church didn't have it all together. As the church today, the story is very much the same for us, but we have the same confidence. We have the same God, and he is at work today as he was then, binding us together for the same purpose. A vision to see a people set apart for God, a mission to make disciples of all nations. We are to be a people who sing loudly in the shower, who show signs of happiness in the everyday moments of life, not because we don't have cares or mess or challenges, but because our securities and our confidence are not founded upon all of those areas of life being in good shape. It's because we've been caught into something much better. It's because we belong to a God who is much bigger. That despite any circumstance, our confidence, our security cannot be shaken because he cannot be shaken. We can entrust our cares to him. And through the power and work of his spirit, we find contentment. We find peace. Even in the most challenging of circumstances. That's a lovely picture, isn't it, in the... um, in the scriptures, when the apostles are put in prison because they're preaching the gospel, and what do they find them do? Singing psalms and hymns. You know, how many of us like get really upset, you know, when the tap's not working in a kitchen or something like that? You know, we can so easily kind of fall into that, sometimes in that trap, that, that miscontentment, thinking life is all going wrong, and there are lots of things that are going on. But Security and confidence in Christ results in praise, even in the most challenging of circumstances. We begin a hope in the future. We're united with the Creator, and all of that is worth singing about. All of that is worth shouting about. All of that is worth expressing our heartfelt respect and gratitude. Like David in Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Actually, I probably shouldn't credit David because actually I don't think it's credit to anyone, actually. 
Right, okay, uh, day by day then, having favor, praising God and having favor with all the people. So to have favor is to be on good terms, good terms with others. Are you on good terms with others? Here in Acts 2, that favor is related to people outside of the church, that the presence and the work of God's Holy Spirit cause the church to be on good terms with those who are outside of it. And as far as I can see, through the work of the Holy Spirit, there are two main reasons why the church would have favor or be on good terms with those around them. And one, the first one being God's grace, and the second one being our efforts. And I don't think those things work in isolation from one another. In fact, I think they align in harmony. But it's worth separating out just so we understand that things, um, the things that we don't have control over and alongside the things that we may do have control over. So let me use a um, simple illustration to get the ball rolling, okay? In my early 20s, which seems to be getting further away, <laughs> I spent um, five years working at a school, which was really actually a last chance opportunity for boys with emotional and behavioral difficulties. So if they couldn't find success in this environment, the likelihood would be some sort of youth offending unit or prison type situation. So I started in residential care and I moved on to education within that school setting. Now, one of the little bonuses of being there was lunch and dinner times. Puddings especially, chocolate cake with chocolate custard was like my absolute personal favorite of all time. Now, the lovely chef was actually notorious for being quite militant with the portions that were given out. And actually she was quite considered to be quite a hard nut to crack. So bizarrely, I actually quite seem to enjoy the challenge of seeing whether I can soften those types of situations. So off I went with my personal little mission to gain favor with a chef. Have you ever done that? I, Joe always kind of like gets annoyed with me because you, know, you never find someone who's a little bit grumpy on the till in the co-op or Tesco's. I will be the person who tries to make them laugh. It's good fun, try and do it. Well, what can I say, whether it was extra custard on the cake or the marvelous combo of both cheese and beans on jacket potatoes, because you could not, in that context, have one. You couldn't have both. You only had one or the other. I managed to make a lovely breakthrough to the absolute annoyance of some of my other colleagues. Those little moments of fun with the chef, who was, by the way, she was actually lovely, when you actually managed to break through a little bit, made for some lovely, light fun in the midst of quite an intense job. Now, the question is, was it my efforts or something of grace that saw me land on good terms with the chef? And I just want to say, I think even in these small things, I do think it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. God's spirit at work, and me making an effort to honor and to thank and to make it all the much more than a transactional process, a genuine, genuine heartfelt thank you for all that you do. God's grace, you know, that, the thing about God's grace is that it reaches to places that you can't get to. It's the essence of the gospel. Despite every effort that we can make, we can't get to him but he reaches to us. It's God who bridges the gap. The evidence of God being with us and for us 
is the favor that we receive, the reach of God into areas that we couldn't even begin to reach for ourselves. You just know that that is what God has done and is doing. In the initial part of the early church's season, they had favor with all people. And this was a reach that the church couldn't get that reached by themselves. It was just something God had done. And yet God still calls us to make every effort to be on good terms with those around us. I want to direct us to a chapter in, um, to chapter 29 of Jeremiah, which if you don't know where Jeremiah is, have a go, just put in your thumb just after halfway, and it's after a big book called Isaiah. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to turn to, and we're going to read through from verses 4 to 7. says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city, where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So in this context, God has instructed Jeremiah, who is a prophet, to write a letter to the exiled people of God in Babylon. And this letter finds itself in the hands of the king of that land. And the letter reads how the Jewish people were to effectively make every effort to be a blessing in this foreign land. And in a similar way, we have a mandate to be a blessing, to make every effort. Like Israel, through Christ, we have a promised land of our own that we're heading to. But until then, we are like foreigners in this world. But not, well, we are like foreigners. We're in this world, but not of it. Yet the Apostle Paul calls us in Romans 12, 18, that if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. In 1 Timothy 2, he urges supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. We are to make every effort to be on good terms. To find favor with those outside of the church. Now of course that's not at the expense of compromising our faith. But it is in recognition of God's desire for his church to be a blessing. As a brief point back to last week's preach. God starts with filling the entire house the community of believers with his spirit. But it is a blessing, it is to be a blessing that goes beyond the church to the community around it. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
You know, the thrill of being God's people bound together by the Holy Spirit in devotion to God and to one, other, to, to one another is that we should expect to, to see the grace of God at work reaching into places that we can't reach and granting us favors in areas outside of our control. And it helps us to know something of how and where God's Spirit is at work. Alongside that, we have a mandate to make every effort to be on good terms, to have favor, and to seek the welfare of the town or the village that we are part of and connected to. And I believe that in our heart to be faithful to that mandate, we will see God's grace and our efforts beautifully align to find favor upon favor beyond the household of the church. And the Lord added, verse 47, to their number day by day those who are being saved. So the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I was chatting um, with some friends recently. I, I do have one or two. You'd be pleased to know. And we're remembering some sports films that we have enjoyed watching um, I remember fondly, actually, a film called Moneyball, which is, um, if you haven't seen it, it's one, and, and, and you have a reasonable insight and, you know, like for sports, then I encourage you to watch it. If you don't like sports, it's a fascinating watch. Okay, just anyway. It's one of these kind of like moments in sports history where a team is forced into thinking to, to do something differently. It's a true story. It's based on a true story. And this paves the way for a whole new approach. What this team does because they can't do it like the other teams, actually paves the way f for a new way of approach for the whole sporting industry post this time. And the gist of it of this is this. Sports teams are created, and were created, and probably still are to a degree, through character and talent to create positive statistics. Get the right people, get the right results. And now, in general, that makes a whole lot of sense. Here, in this in this context, because of the lack of budgeting and finance available to them, they had to take a new approach, and so they used the numbers. They used the statistics only, and the numbers only, to build a great team without delving too much into understanding what the character or the talent was. They purely used the numbers. Seems a little bit crazy, but there was a whole lot of logical sense to this. And this move really opened the door to a new level of attention given to statistics within sports. I just think about people's CV, you know, another example of that today would be CVs, wouldn't it? So a company will look over, you know, 100 CVs or something like that and literally look at the paper before they've even met with the person. That's a way of kind of uh, using statistics to eliminate potentially a number of candidates before they've even got to the table. If you watch as well behind the scenes of any sporting programs today, you'll see the amount of technology that is used in helping to shape training focus, dietary requirements, individual performance, strategic development, the information gathered on just one team operating at a high level these days is actually quite staggering. Phenomenal amount of information that goes into just trying to help develop one team. Now, I'm not normally a statistics guy. I'm all about observing the people rather than the paper. And I think that's probably because I believe there's a danger of giving too much attention to the paper rather than the people. However, the Bible, 
Which, you know, actually, that, that hurts me a little bit, I think, when, you, when a company might go through 100 CVs and haven't even maybe had a conversation with one, but have eliminated 80 people on the basis of that. And that kind of feels like a little bit, wow, they could have missed some gold by just having a conversation with a few people. However, I will say the Bible's not shy when it comes to dealing with statistics. The early church grew from 120 to 3,000 in one day. When Jesus has the multitudes gathered to him, the disciples probably had a squeeze, and I'm talking about a squeeze, even at their best efforts, probably could made, you know, feed 50 people. But Jesus blesses it and causes that food for 50 to feed more than 5,000. The statistic is there to help create a picture. It says something. It doesn't say everything, but it says something. And here in the early church, not only have they grown to a household of 3,000 people, but God was adding to them on a daily basis. And the text helps us to understand a couple of things. Statistically, the church was growing. Now, that doesn't tell us anything about the type of characters or gifting or circumstances that surrounded those guys. But as the church through the Holy Spirit, as they devoted themselves to God and one another, as they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, as this beautiful care of culture, of gathering, of authentic joy, as it, as it emerged, the Lord added day by day those who were being saved. And I want to set an expectation of growth for the year ahead. That as we seek to devote ourselves to these things, as we seek to be faithful with what we've been entrusted with, the vision we carry, the mission we have, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we should expect to literally grow, that this household of God would increase in number. And this leads nightly, nicely to the next point that we learn from the text. The Lord added. It's the Lord who adds. And whilst we can do our part, it's God who is in the business of changing hearts. Whilst we're called to go out, it's God who is in the business of changing people within. It's the Lord who adds. It's the Lord who causes the increase. It's, it's God who causes the growth. So as we seek to be faithful in doing our part, this is something we are entrusting to Jesus. He is the one who is building his church. Now, I know sometimes statistics can be encouraging, and show increase, they can also be discouraging as they show decrease. Imagine if you're Gideon. You know, and God whittles down your army from 32,000 down to 300. But for those of you who know this story, look at what God does with 300, with the smaller number. Scripture and statistics, you know, they paint a picture but it's only part of the picture. And we have to be mindful not to major on the paper rather than the people. So here's the, here's the main thing for those people who are part of the household of God. Your call is to devotion. God will cause the growth. The early church, they're not bound up in the statistics, probably helps them a little bit, but not bound up in it, as helpful at times as they can be. No, they were bound up through the Holy Spirit and devotion to God and to one another, day by day, praising him, this wonderful evidence of authentic joy. Day by day, they found favor, good terms with the people around them through God's grace and through their efforts. 
And day by day, the Lord added, the Lord gave increase to a church that was wonderfully bound together to serve the vision and mission of the church, to be witnesses, to, be, to make disciples, to be all in for what God was doing, to be faithful and entrust God with the rest. So, um, I think I'd really like to finish by seeking really to bring, I guess, together, really, all that we're hoping will serve as a, an anchor point for our year ahead together as one church family. And then as God permits, you know, we'll lead into a time of response. And if you've missed any of this kind of like short three preach series so far, let me encourage you to have a listen because the purpose of it is to kind of springboard us into the year ahead, hold us an anchor point. The messages are recorded and uploaded to podcasts on Spotify and Apple. So just type in New Life Community Church. But here I want to remind us really that the, the church were instructed, right at the beginning of Acts 1, that the church were instructed to wait for the help of the Holy Spirit. This, this gift of God to the church to empower it and enable it for success. Now when God gives of his Spirit, it starts with the household of God. It fills the entire house but it doesn't remain there. There's an overflow of blessing that goes beyond the house and attracts the multitudes beyond their household walls. God is moving in the hearts of those in our surrounding communities. God is going before us in that. Before we've even gone out to them with the good news that we carry, God is preparing hearts with his spirit. So God fills his house and the first thing the Holy Spirit does is to draw God's people together in this spectacular devotion to the God that has rescued them and to the one another and to one another as family. Nothing was their own. No one had need because of the way the church cared for one another. And that principle of care, it starts with the house. And it pours out beyond it. The way we love and care for another is an example to the world. And like the way, I guess, if you read the story about Joseph and what God raises up Joseph for is, is this administration for, for the nation of Egypt to gather up and fill up the storehouses during the seven years of plenty that Egypt have in order to provide for them in the seven years of famine that were coming. So Joseph does that. He gathers it. He administers it. And God's with him. And he fills up the storehouses, fills up the barns, and Egypt during the land of famine, during the seven years of famine, they have plenty. But the blessing of God upon Joseph is that they don't just have enough for Egypt. They begin to feed the nations as well. The blessing comes from storing so much that Joseph was not able to feed his household he was able to go beyond the household to others God fills the house he uses it to bless and overflow to the surrounding communities we should expect the same as God fills and blesses and we commit ourselves to devotion here as we fill up the storehouses we can be have an expectation that we can be blessed be a blessing to the communities that surround. And we should expect that as we live out of devotion to one another, we will have that capacity to bless community. 
And finally, day by day, day by day, praising God like ones singing in the shower. Not because we don't have cares, but because we have one we can entrust our cares to. Day by day, having favor with the surrounding community, through the reach of God's grace, and through the faithful efforts of his church as one seeking the welfare of the town or the village or the city. And day by day, expecting the church to grow in both maturity and numeracy and entrusting that to the Lord who is in the business of building his church. Let me invite us to stand, please, together as church family. Let me invite the uh, worship band to come up. So if you want a mission of small things, uh, you can try entrusting your cares and singing in any context that you're in. If you want to test it in the small things, you can find that person who's a little bit hard to reach and try and soften their hearts, get that little extra bit of custard in your bowl. And if you want to test God in the small things as well, uh, you can bring to the Lord, actually, and entrust him that in all the things that, we're, that God is doing, you can trust him with the building of his church. You can lay that all at his feet and just uh, rest that as you attempt to be faithful with your part, God will be faithful with his. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So let us bring out into the open as we worship together our heartfelt expressions of gratitude, of thankfulness, and all respect and honor to God who has made it possible for our feet to be moved from the sinking sand of life without him to the rock of firm foundations with him. The grace of God that reaches beyond any reach that we can have ourselves. Let's cry out for favor in our communities and entrust the Lord to the building of his church. Amen.